podcast listeners, and welcome to the 30th May 2018 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Hong Kong is gripped by a heat wave this week, and we are hot, hot, hot. You will find many of us Hong Kongers hiding out next to our air cons with the curtains closed as we try and acclimatize to the start of the heat season. While we're hiding out from the sun, though, we'll be listening to this week's podcast featuring my own story about food and memory, and a story that was told almost two years ago by Yuri about going home. First, though, a big thanks and hello go out to our loyal listeners in our hometown of Hong Kong, but also to our listeners in Queen Bien in Australia, Lando Lakes in Washington in the USA, and Quezon City in the Philippines. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. We have just completed three shows in May for the very first Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival, and they were spectacular. Thursday night saw us shaking up the stage with a new format, while Friday and Saturday were sellout shows. If you missed us this month, you can find us again at the Fringe Club on June the 27th when Austin hosts a show that he's chosen to have the theme of play. Get tickets by following the links on the website, hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. Our first story today is from our March 2018 live show, which had the theme, What's Cooking? Here is my own story about my grandma. Everyone has memories of favorite dishes made by significant people in their lives, and my life is no exception. Where it differs from many people is that my family had a bit of an unusual relationship to food because we had one family member whose relationship was somewhat toxic. My younger brother Andrew had severe food allergies. As soon as he started eating solid food, he was always ill. I don't remember much about the time as I was only about four, but I do remember the worry for my parents, the absence, and the hospital visits. Eventually, it was discovered that Andrew couldn't eat wheat, cow's milk, and sugar, which made for a very constrictive diet for a farm kid in Canada. This was the late 70s, and health food shops with gluten-free, non-cow dairy options weren't easily available in Ontario, Canada. My parents bought a small farm and began raising goats. We grew as much of our own food as possible. My mother made her own cheese and yogurt from goat's milk, which my brother could digest. She made bread for the rest of the family. Watching it rise in a large enamel bowl and then punching it down and kneading it was always a highlight in my day. We raised our own beef cow, and every year we'd get a flock of chickens in the spring, raise them through the summer, and slaughter them ourselves in the backyard in the fall. We were raised on organic, free-range farm food, fresh and direct to the table, what every parent dreams of for their kids, but few parents have the resources to provide. It's a lot of work raising a family and all their food as well. So naturally, all I ever wanted was store-bought food. I remember coming home from visiting Grandma and Grandpa one day and telling my mother about the taste sensation of Campbell's chicken noodle soup from a can. It was so delicious when I asked my mother, why can't we have anything that yummy? My mother, who did not enjoy cooking very much, must have wanted to strangle me as she made our homemade, homegrown dinner for the seven members of her family. Sometimes I marvel that I lived to adulthood at all. 
I envied the kids in my class, their Pop-Tarts and their wagon wheels. I craved food coloring, additives, chocolate and donuts. I wanted to eat sugar until my eyes rolled up in my head and drink liters of thin cow's milk instead of the richly flavored goat's milk at home. I stared, salivating at sandwiches made with store-bought white bread and slices of Kraft cheese. My lunch would be a sandwich wrapped in wax paper made with thick-sliced homemade bread with cheese and sausage. There was often a handful of raisins for a snack in a reusable container. If it was a good day, there'd be an apple from the orchard next to our house to go with it. If it was a bad day, there would be a boiled egg which would release its sulfurous smell as I peeled it. No one ever wanted to trade their lunches with mine. But oh, how I envied their additive-rich, sugar-filled deliciousness. But you work with what you got. My grandparents would continue to tempt us with store-bought soup and ginger snaps from a packet, and even, if we were lucky, maple walnut ice cream. As we got older, so did my grandparents, and they started to struggle keeping up their large home in town. My grandmother began to show signs of dementia. She became forgetful and sometimes fretful and upset. They moved to an independent apartment in a retirement complex on the outskirts of the same town. We still went over to visit frequently and loved eating licorice babies and spachelous cookies while my poor brother nibbled his raisins and nuts that my mother always brought along. A few years after they moved into the home, my grandfather passed away, leaving my grandmother to manage on her own. She was often confused by this time, and I know my mother struggled with managing time to spend with her while raising her own family and all the work that that entailed. She worried about her mother's ability to cope alone and whether or not she was eating properly and if she felt lonely. One of the temporary solutions she had for all these worries was me. I was an enthusiastic volunteer in the Keep Grandma Company campaign. I would go and stay with her, a rare opportunity to be petted and spoiled by this wonderful lady. I loved having her all to myself, even if she only spoke to me in Flemish, a language I only understood a few words in, or thought I was my own mother and told me to do my homework. She would get upset once in a while, but if I turned on the TV or smiled at her and spoke to her in English and held her hand, she'd quickly calm down. I was just the right person for this. I was old enough, at ten, to need little extra care from an adult. I could dress and clean myself and keep my things tidy. I could call for help from my parents or the people in the assisted living complex, and I could check that Grandma had turned off the stove or gotten dressed properly in the morning. My school was in the same town my Grandma lived in, so I could even stay overnight and walk to school in the morning, avoiding the hour-long bus ride from my countryside home. But there was more. The icing on the cake came the first time I slept at Grandma's house. We'd watch TV until after nine o'clock on a school night and gone to bed shortly after, having brushed our teeth and changed into our nighties. The next morning, Grandma made me oatmeal with brown sugar for breakfast and packed me a lunch. I walked to school feeling very content and wishing I could live like this, just me and Grandma and no pesky brothers or chores or smelly goats or weeding the garden or chickens, wherever. I could live in town and walk to school and have soup from a can every day. The grass was looking much greener on the other side of my fence. But what made this the best day ever was when the lunch bell rang. 
I opened my lunch where a plastic bag nestled proudly, showing off its store-bought white bread contents. Grandma had packed me lunch while I ate breakfast, and I hadn't paid attention. But when I unwrapped my sandwiches, I found, without even asking for it, my grandmother had given me the holy grail. There it was, two slices of store-bought bread, each with a thick layer of butter, liberally covered with white sugar. I hadn't even known such bliss existed. A sugar sandwich. For once, I did not covet the sandwiches of those around me. I calmly laid my bounty back together and ate my lunch in ecstasy. I didn't tell my mother or my siblings for many years of my extra reasons for loving my grandma. Food can evoke memories, and although I no longer crave sugar the way I did when I was a child... Every now and then, I think of my grandmother, and then I have a hankering for a sugar sandwich. I first heard of Hong Kong stories through Meetup. I found a workshop to attend and went along to see if I'd like it. And I did. So much that I found myself volunteering to tell my story at the next live show. I liked it so much that during the next five years, I got up on stage and told many more stories. And you can too. You can find links to our workshops on our website, hongkongstories.com. The workshops are held every Tuesday, and they're all free. Come along. We know you have a story, and we want to hear it. Our second story today was told at a live show in April 2016 with the theme of Senses. Yuri tells us about what it was like for him to be going home. So it's April 2015. I guess it's uh, pretty much exactly one year ago tonight, now that I think about it. I'm on an airplane to Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm in the middle seat in the economy section. A ticket was bought at the last moment, and there weren't any aisle seats available. I'm not thinking yet about what's waiting for me at the other end in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's, still, uh, that's still a transit lounge and, what, some 20 hours away from me. Instead, I'm thinking back to another flight, Seoul to Halifax, That one was so long ago, it seems almost like another lifetime. I was probably in an aisle seat on that flight. I'm pretty retentive about these things. Probably had my iPod plugged in, some sweet tunes going, and thinking about some sleep, hoping for some sleep. Yeah, so that flight, it took place in December 1998. I was on my way home to surprise my family for Christmas. Actually, I hadn't even been planning to go home for Christmas that year. I'd moved to Seoul, Korea, about a year earlier. I hadn't been home to visit yet, and I remember interminably debating with my friends. I've got the money. I've got the time. Should I go home for Christmas this year? Finally, my friend Polly almost shouted at me. Just go home already. I'll buy the damn ticket. Well, you know, he he didn't have to buy the ticket, and and I went. So I remember the cold air hitting me as I deplaned in Halifax. I remember the brittle, frozen grass. 
bare skeletal trees, salt-tinged tarmac, and a steel-blue sky. I remember Handel's Messiah, the music swelling as the car door opened in the pickup lane at the airport. Dad climbing laboriously out of the car. You bugger, he said in a hoarse, almost whispered voice. I knew it was you. Welcome home, boy. Well, I guess my younger brother had kept my secret pretty much up till the last moment. He'd pretty much kidnapped my father and brought him out to the airport to meet me. <laughs> he looked as fragile as the grass. He looked as, uh, he looked as bare and skeletal as the trees. He was fine, you know. He, he was just recovering from a hip replacement surgery about six weeks earlier. And when I think back to that day, you know, I think about how much I loved my dad at that moment. It's a funny thing, you know, because I've always loved my dad, of course, but at that moment, I can remember loving him keenly, you know? Loving him almost, almost achingly. The homestead was about an hour away through sparsely populated rural area. Uh, the highway, it's, it's bordered on both sides by evergreens almost the whole way. They lend color to a, a pretty bleak palette and somehow don't manage to, to brighten it up at all. It, it's kind of weird because, you know, evergreens are this, this dark, lush color, even in the deepest of winter. And on a day like that, even that color, it seems kind of kind of washed out, you know, kind of, kind of feeble and almost thin. As the car pulled into the driveway and pulled to a stop, I, I, I jumped out of the door without even thinking about my luggage in the back. I, I burst into the front door of the house and I was hit in the face with a wash of warm air scented with the smells of Christmas baking. I could hear her voice in the kitchen. What are you doing home so early? I saw mom come around the corner. She had a, a dishcloth in her hand. She exclaimed, oh, it's, it's you. What, what are you doing here? <laughs> I saw tears start to fall from her eyes as, uh, as we embraced. And I heard her start kind of almost... Uh, a whispered litany. Everything's all right now. Everything's all right now. Everything's all right now. Man, it had been a tough. It had been a tough year for my mother. You know, she was facing some pretty intense health challenges of her own at that time. You know, and with my dad's hip replacement surgery on top of that. You know, that pale, that cold winter. It 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 seemed to be suddenly gripping. I don't know tenuous lives in a way. But for those two weeks in December 1998 when I was home for Christmas, everything was okay. For the last Christmas before my dad's diagnosis, everything was all right. And now it's April 2015 and I'm sitting in the middle seat in the economy section of an airplane along an interminable route that I've traced 
God knows how many, how many times I've done this route before. And you know, um, Dad won't be at the airport this time. He still leaves the hospital sometimes for visits home. But the, the cancer's everywhere now. And it's, uh, it's just unstoppable, you know? Uh, apparently he tires really quickly. Now, you know, this time he's, uh, he's sitting, uh, he's in a, he's in a bed in the uh, palliative care ward at the local hospital. And, you know, he's hooked up to all of these machines. is he doesn't look feeble, you know? He, he still looks as strong as an ox, you know? Um, I've, I've got this picture in my mind of this weak and feeble man that met me back in 1998 when I got off that airplane. And here he is, and I, I, I can hear that chuckle in my mind, you know? <laughs> I can hear the pleasure in his voice. I mean, you should see him. He's, he's sitting in the hospital bed. He's... Bach's St. Matthew's passion is, is booming from a small stereo and he's got a newspaper open on his lap and it's open to the crossword puzzle I mean my dad's never in his life been that far from a crossword puzzle uh, he's got his reading glasses down on the tip of his nose you know and he looks up when I come in welcome home boy his eyes crinkled smiling mischievously, you know? And I spend, them, I'm, I spend most of the next five weeks in that hospital room. I spend quiet, contemplative moments with just me and my dad. Sometimes holding hands. Uh, not that comfortable for us, I guess. And a lot of the times, actually just sitting in silence, you know? Um, I spend a lot of days with, with groups of family and friends in that hospital room, you know, and, and memories and stories going way back to childhood. They're, they're shared and they're compared. And there's actually some really good times. So, uh, so by the end of that five weeks, I'm spending most of the nights in that hospital room as well. And I'm watching, you know, because my dad, he's slowly becoming that, that thin, that pale, and that, um, that sort of weak shadow of, of him that I'd met, what, 15, 16 years ago that day. And um, I'm watching him fade right in front of my eyes, you know? And at the same time, the music, it just continues coming out, you know? Because he loves it so much, you know? Um, Brahms, Alto Rhapsody. And, and right at the very end, in those last few moments, 
Mozart's Requiem in D minor. And for, for all of those five weeks, I love my dad so fucking much, you know? And, um, you know, like I said, I, I always loved him, you know? And those, for those five weeks, I just, I love him. I love him so keenly, you know? And I love him so achingly. And I, st- I still love him. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Thanks Kong Stories. Thanks for listening to this story brought if to you by Hong If you want to know more, Stories. visit us on Hong If you like what you hear on any of these podcasts, do not hesitate to write a us a review tell. or drop us a line. We would also like to thank our unsung heroes of these stories. Jen, who curated and directed our March 2018 show, and Renata, who took care of our show way back in April 2016. We appreciate all your work. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. You know, if you cannot make it to a workshop in Hong Kong, you can send us a written story. The stories can be anything at all, as long as they're true, and as long as they're short, and you are the main character. We promise to read them all, and our favorites may be read on future podcasts. Find information on this, past podcasts, photos of our storytellers, and oh so very much more at hongkongstories.com. Everyone has a story to tell. May your week be filled with beautiful insects, interesting cloud formations, and at least one delicious cookie.